So we're going to start a new series here uh, going into, before we get into our, our uh, Easter season, our resurrection season, and we're calling it Things to Remember. And I want to kind of use this uh, season to kind of put an exclamation point or underline or bold or something like put capital letters behind some of the uh, doctrine or teaching that I've been centering on for the last year and a little bit. And um, I want to uh, kind of, um, I'm sensing y'all are interviewing people and pretty soon uh, the temporary part-time help uh, here up front, uh, last hired, first fired, you know, <laughs> so I feel like uh, uh, there'll be a, a season when uh, the Lord will be transitioning us to our new senior pastor. So, but before that, then it seemed like really good for me to spend a little bit of time and say, so these things are really important to me. As a result, they found their way into your life as well, because they're important to me and I get to hold the mic. So, um, so uh, the next few weeks will be uh, some important things to remember. And uh, today we want to talk about a doctrine that's really, really important to me. I think it's important to the kingdom of God. And it's a, a doctrine called Tapanta, as you see up here. Let me just make sure you can see that a little bit. I'm just going to kind of pull that guy down. And um, <clears throat> the idea of Tapanta in English is the all. Uh, Tapanta. And I don't know, have you heard me use that phrase before? Never? Wow, I should be fired. Um, well, it's a very, very important, if you, if you were at uh, uh, Four Seas and asked one of them, does Dave ever talk about Tapanta? They'd go, yeah, I don't remember what it is, but he talks about it all the time. So, uh, Tapanta, this idea in, in English is the all. And um, I feel like it has a, a potential for us this morning to, to transform how we see the circumstances of our life, our kind of momentary, daily circumstances of our life, and transform them from uh, merely an occasional conversation into divine appointments, such that everything that we do falls under the kingdom authority of God, transforms our everyday walk. So I, I want to linger here just for a little bit this morning. I'll, I'll do a test later on Tapanta. I feel like if, if um, we remember the doctrine of all things, it lifts our spirits. If we don't fully understand the unequaled and underapplied doctrine of his unrivaled authority of our place in the kingdom under his unrivaled authority, then we're tempted to live our lives marked by fear and anxiety and disappointment and anger the potential, because life is relentless, because life is hard, the potential is to fall under the weight of all the hardships of life and to become um, bitter. We say things like, um, it probably won't work out and things will mostly go wrong. Uh, I don't know, do you hear kind of Eeyore in that? Right? I don't know, it's probably not going to work out. It always happens. Things never go right for me. These are the kind of people you really want to hang out with, isn't it? They're just 
you know, for every green light, they say, yeah, the next one will probably be red. Wow. So, um, and I get it. Uh, some of you are nudging the other person next to you right now. And, and I want to say that that's, that's probably not fair because uh, they could just as equally in some other given day nudge you and say, you know, we all kind of struggle with these sentiments because things don't go the way that we are expecting them to go. And it gets hard and we get disillusioned and discouraged. And, um, and I believe that in some measure, the reasons that we get so discouraged and so rift with anxiety is because we have lost track of the doctrine of all things, the doctrine of Tapanta. And the more and more we're clued into this overarching doctrine of God's sovereignty and understand the fullness of that and what it means for me in my life in terms of peace and joy. You know that list of uh, uh, attributes of the fruit of the Spirit? I'm not sure I can list them all. There's nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, something else. There's nine. <laughs> uh, it's great when the congregation can help out the pastor. That's just amazing. I love that. And, and, and so why isn't my life more like that rather than kind of more kind of like fear and guilt and doubt and I'm not sure and things are usually bad? Because God has, has said it can be different. It can be different for us. So I want to talk about that. I keep saying I want to talk about it. I guess I should get to it. So, so um, typically, I'm going to say, and I want to, I know there are really hard things going on in this, in this room right now. I know there are some things that happened in 23 that continue to, to be uh, loss and a struggle for you in 24. I know that there are some things about to happen in 24 in many of your lives that are really, really hard. There's a circumstances of uncertainty, circumstances of loss, and you're thinking to yourself, Dave, you don't exactly know what I'm, go I'm going through. And I, I don't. I don't know exactly what you're going through. But I do know that life is relentless. I know that for a fact. And I know that no one escapes those constant waves that batter against the shoreline of your life. And so I know that. I'm not trying to speak um, above your circumstances. I want to speak into your circumstances with a great power and a great hope, the sovereignty of God in your life. So that's where we're going to spend some time. We're going to go ahead and uh, find some time in Scripture. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll read this together. And I have a... A uh, homework assignment for you to do. In the, it's not homework. You don't have to go home. Uh, this is a, uh, 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 a current assignment. I want you to note all the all things. Okay? Note all the all things. You can try and count them if you want, but please note them. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. Let's read aloud together. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven 
and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Or all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. So how'd you do in your assignment? Did you hear a few all things? Six. All right, very good. Did you count in everything as one of the all things? No, you did. Thank you. And, um, and there are some sentences there that the sentiment was, you know, all things, rulers, you know, it sounds like all things. You meant, it sounds like what you meant was all things. All things. Not some things, but all things. That's what it sounds like Paul meant when I read that through. So, okay, that feels big. Let's do a real quick kind of Greek study. We don't do that often here because my Greek isn't very good. But ta panta, ta is the article the in Greek, so ta. And panta is actually, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you what this is. It is the, um, the neuter accusative voice. Doesn't that help? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the neuter accusative voice of the, of the word pas, P-A-S. And so panta, uh, is this very big idea, the, the all. All. And so when you look that word up in your Strong's, uh, Greek translation, it will say very big words like when I mean all, what I, actually meant was all, everything, as comprehensively as you can understand, all, all. You'll find the word panta uh, some couple hundred times in the New Testament, but only about 30 times is it found with the article in front of it that sets that word aside as not just all, but the all, the one thing, the all. And so it has a, I don't know, kind of a special, it, it, it pops, I guess. If you know some of that Greek, that's one of the reasons I think sometimes it's nice for us to kind of look at not only the context, but the very precise words uh, that the apostles, especially Paul, uses to try and communicate some fairly precise doctrine about God so that we aren't squishy about our doctrine. Paul wants us to be concise and to know exactly what we're talking about. And so he defines his terms, he uses very uh, precise words. In Ephesians, again, uh, Paul uh, writing, he he says uh, in chapter 1, In him, in God, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the will of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So I kind of want to land here just for a minute because um, this might be a a primary takeaway uh, for us this morning. I, I have a couple more points I want to make, but this might be the big idea is that is that God does all things according to the counsel of his will. So let's just leave that up there for a second because you know in my mind it makes me want to ask the question who's he counseling with? With the counsel of my will. It seems as though if Paul is being precise and we are understanding this doctrine well, it seems as though the triune God, in conversation with himself, has ordained the circumstances of our life based on the plan that this triune God has formed in his mind, I guess, since before time creation, before all things. Before all things. God had in his mind all things. According to the counsel of his will. What this means to me is that there are not, and and, and many of us talk like this, there, there are not just accidents and luck that the circumstances of our lives are ordained to be such as they are according to the counsel of his will, that his glory might be manifest. When we understand that all things are set aside, as we just read, for his purposes, that he might be glorified in all things, our circumstances now tend to make sense. They tend to fall under an eternal grid. So I have to take that into account. And if I do, my emotions may follow. And I may find that even though things are hard, I can say things are hard, but I know that all things are happening according to the counsel of God's will. And I'm content in that. I am not happy with the difficult circumstances of my life, they're hard because life is relentless and it's hard right now. But I also understand that I can have a peace that passes understanding that's bigger than I can think. I I don't even know why I feel so peaceful. It's so hard right now. I can't imagine why I'm getting a good night's sleep. I can't imagine why I'm not bitter and downcast and kind of grumpy with everybody. I mean, I can't figure it out, but I I have this strange abiding peace that I really can't even understand that goes beyond my circumstances. The the only thing that I can say is that somehow uh, I understand that, that the sovereignty of God is at work in my life. And that's transforming for it for us, isn't it? Have you bumped into people like that? And you kind of go, what are you made of? How powerful that you can live your life so above the fray. 
Not all of us can all the time, but some of us can much of the time. Sounds like Abraham Lincoln right in there somewhere. So when Paul says, God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, we would be arrogant to think that in some way we're in control or in some way things should happen the way I want them to happen. That would, that would be arrogance. This should happen this way. This prayer should be answered in this way by this date. Thank you very much. On your market set, go. Which is somewhere between Harry Potter and Santa Claus. That's not our God. I don't, by the way, I do not want God to be either Harry Potter or Santa Claus. That is not my idea of a great God right there. And so this arrogance that sometimes, and that's a rough word, isn't it? Because sometimes I, because I hear my, I hear myself in that sentence. When I say, Boy, Lord, this healing, this circumstance would be great if it could be resolved by the end of the day, maybe by the end of the hour. If you could just work that out, I'd be really happy with the results for my agenda according to the counsel of my will. When I had a conversation with me, myself, and I, we decided it would work out this way. And so, God, you should maybe connect with the counsel of my will. Hmm. Okay, maybe arrogance isn't a bad word. That's not grace. So if God says no or not yet to your prayer, the question is, do I conclude that he's not listening? Or he doesn't care? Because that's what the world would say. Well, this God, he's just disappointing. He doesn't give you everything you want when you want it. No, because... Because he is in control of all things, according to the counsel of his will, that he might be glorified. So I think I've said life is relentless. Uh, I'm not in control of the circumstances. God alone is in control. I know that. I, I know that in the reaches of my head. Sometimes it doesn't feel good or feel that way that God is actually in control because things are going crazy. And so God's all-powerful. He, he must not be in, He must have forgot about me and my circumstances. So when it says that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes, what He is not saying is that you are going to get your perfect will met according to the counsel of your will. What he's saying, all things are going to work together for good according to the counsel of my will that I might be glorified. That's what he's saying. He's not saying your life's going to be sweet and easy. I love that verse. All things are going to work out great. Nice. What does it start? Ready anytime. Let me, let me go a little deeper, Lord. Let me kind of dive into that idea of great. A lot of things that would make it great. By the way, things that might make it great. I dreamt last night that I had a full head of hair. <laughs> Big, long, fresh, blonde hair. And then 
Here I am. It didn't work out. So, so there are things that we wish were great in our lives, and He will work them out, our lives being according to the counsel of His will, that He might be glorified. I don't know quite exactly how my bald head makes Him glorified, but I'm willing to try. I'm willing to lay down my glory for His. The Old Testament in Lamentations, the writers wrote, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? I think it's possible for people, pastors, let's blame pastors, pick on them for a minute, to get to thinking that maybe I did something particularly good or clever or powerful. I did something smart. I changed the trajectory of my church. Really? Did you? Or is it more like the author of Lamentations who says, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it? It's probably more the second part of that sentence. All things happen according to the counsel of God's will. And now this gets a little tough for us because I, I have some things that, have, that are hard. Really hard and really disappointing and really confusing in my life. And there have been circumstances in the course of my life that have been uh, life-altering in terms of what I thought my agenda for life would be. So... Uh, 20 years ago, uh, Susan has kidney failure. That, that was not on my list of things to do, to have kidney failure in my family. That didn't seem right. We did a kidney transplant. I was a donor, and that was kind of cool, and that's to the glory of God, right? So that's great. That's a fun story. I can tell that story. Uh, my uh, heart beats for her, and my kidney squirts for her, so... Yeah, I think I said I wouldn't use that in public anymore. Sorry, Susan. I'm going to pay for that. <laughs> but it's kind of cute. And, um, and then some years later, Susan had a massive brain hemorrhage. I've got degenerative disc disease. And so my spine's falling apart. I've got tingling in my arms and hands. I've had uh, four-level fusion in my neck, which is one of the reasons I kind of walk around like this sometimes, because my head doesn't go that way. And so there, there are things that we wish were different in our lives. Relationships that uh, are so important to us, and for some reason that best friend just backs out of our life. What's up with that? My, my father, my brother, my sister, someone is just... It's supposed to be great, and it's so hard. These people I love, they keep getting in trouble. They keep getting diseases. There's things that are so relentless and hard. And now we apply the doctrine of all things. Wait a minute. Dave, what are you telling me? That these difficult circumstances, tragic Evil circumstances fall within the authority of Jesus Christ? All things. So I don't necessarily understand it, but there's a little story in Scripture that helps me come to terms with it. 
It's not that God creates evil. Of course, that's impossible. But in some mysterious way, evil exists according to the counsel of the will of the Godhead. Read this from the Westminster Catechism. This is a a doctrinal piece done hundreds of years ago where they try and go through and define the doctrines quite precisely. And here from Catechism 3, section 1, it reads, God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, speaking to himself, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So that why? So that God decrees and provincially providentially brings to pass is all to the praise of his glory. That's a very, very well-crafted sentence. Let's read it again. God from all eternity, from before time, from before all things, had all things in mind, and he did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, you're remembering the passage from Ephesians now, right? Ephesians 1.11, just read it by the counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So that God decrees and providentially brings to pass is all to the praise of his glory. This is what this is all about, is his manifest and magnified glory. So, then we wonder, where does evil fit? And you'll remember, sometime last year, we went through the, the book of Job, and we talked through all that hardship together. So this is not the first time we've talked about this, and that's why I say, these are things to remember, because we've, we've talked about these things in some fashion over the course of the year. And so, there are difficult things that happen. There are these conversations that Satan has with God, and then Job is afflicted. Do you remember that? How confusing and odd that is. And yet we see by the time the book ends that all things have worked out according to the glory of God the Father and to the defeat of the evil one. That doesn't mean that things were great for Job. They were great for God. So there's this story I was saying in Luke chapter 22 where uh, this is late. This is about now in the walk of Jesus toward the cross if uh, March 31st is Easter and that's Jesus' weekend for his passion. Then we're about a month out and this is about a month out before his death. Okay, so this is a pretty end of life conversation between he and and Simon, Simon Peter, says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan has asked me to sift you, to persecute you, to put you through a most fiery experience. And Jesus, being Peter's best friend, says, nah, 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 you can't have him. Nope. Jesus 
recognizes what this moment is. He has designed this moment in some mysterious fashion because Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And I don't know what that word demand means right there. I, I, I can't imagine that, that uh, Jesus gives in to the demands of Satan uh, just because Satan says so. Uh, that's not what's happening here. What's happening is that Satan thinks he's getting away with something and Jesus says, uh, you have plans, but I will turn it for good because I reconcile all things. You, you keep thinking what you're thinking. And he says, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. He's giving Peter a little premonition of the fact that on the night that Jesus is betrayed by Judas, Peter will also betray him in a very similar fashion. There's really not much difference between Judas's betrayal and Peter's. In Jesus' hour of need, Peter is, I don't know him, I never knew him, swears and says, I just don't know the guy. Leave me alone. And then he sees Jesus and he's crushed. And so Jesus knows that this is the moment that has been designed to purify you, Peter, unto my purposes. And you will regret this for all your life except for the fact that I'm going to have a cup of coffee with you later and redeem you once I've resurrected. You will fix this sadness and then you will strengthen your brothers who also ran away and rejected me too. You will be that source of encouragement. I'm praying for you, Peter. It's really going to be hard. I am advocating before the Father for you in your hour of need. And He has just said that to you too right now. Jesus is advocating for you before the Father in your hour of need. Bank it. You are not alone. And these difficult circumstances are not for no reason at all. They are for God's eternal purposes that He, by the counsel of His will, might be glorified in all things. All things. Makes us think that maybe we should hold our agenda pretty loosely. I have these ideas, Jesus. Kind of thinking about these things but I'm holding them according to the counsel of your will. And so sometimes, sometimes we make bad choices and bad things happen. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, I have recently, uh, having uh, gone about 12 miles over the speed limit on this road, and, and bad things happen sometimes. To the tune of about 150 bucks. So, so I earned that, right? I earned that. I went over the speed limit, and uh, the guy was very nice. And I was very nice. 
And I thought maybe he might say, you know what, let this be a warning to you. He did not. And so bad things, bad things happen when you make bad choices. It doesn't always happen. I've driven down that road a lot of times too fast. It doesn't always happen that you do bad things and bad things happen right away. Sometimes it takes a while. And so we get to thinking that I can employ my will and even do somewhat sketchy things and somehow not have the consequences attached to them. And God would say, no, be really, really careful that your will and your behavior honors me. Now, here's the weird thing. I can do really good things, and sometimes bad things happen in the context, right? Right then. Uh, Dennis, it could be that, uh, I mean, we hear stories of good Samaritans that then get taken advantage of in very uh, horrific manner, right? So a lot of us are kind of scared of being that good Samaritan because something bad might happen, and sometimes does. I do something good and bad things happen. So weirdly, something, I do something uh, good and bad things happen. Sometimes I do something bad and bad things happen. I guess I better do something good then. If, it's, if something might, hard might come from it, I might as well do something good where eventually it will turn out for God's purposes. So my mind is on Him and His agenda and His purposes in my life, even though it might be consequential on me. Love is always consequential. Every act of love has consequences. So we might as well love well. So, so we're thinking about this question of God's sovereignty. And what I'm saying here in that little story is that God's sovereignty doesn't diminish human accountability. God's sovereignty doesn't diminish human accountability. He is sovereign over all things, but when I make bad choices, I will pay for my bad choices. So there are three non-negotiable truths about Jesus that I want to finish with. Have a little time of prayer with you. The first one, it's pretty easy, came out of our reading, is that Jesus is Lord over all creation. Lord over all creation, all things. Colossians 1, let me just read it back to you. For uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, things visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through Him and for Him. It's not through him and for you. It's through him and for him. And he shares them with us. According to his grace and mercy and love, he shares his glory even with us as he cloaks us in his righteousness. Not according to my performance, but according to his. So Jesus is the authority, the creator of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning through Him. All things. You start putting on your all things lens, and you'll see it all over the place. The doctrine of all things. All things were made without Him. Nothing was made 
that has been made. So Jesus is Lord over all creation. Okay, that's not a hard one. That's not a hard step. Jesus is supreme in all things. He continues. He is not the creator who knocked over the dominoes and then stepped back to watch. He is supreme in all things. He is imminent and involved in all things. He is the head of the body. Our Colossians verse, the head of the body, the church. And I think we could put in there our church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, all things, he might have supremacy. So not only is he Lord over creation, he is a Lord over all things before and after creation. Everything as it is being redeemed falls under his authority and for his purposes. From as far back in time as you can think before time and as far forward before time again, he is supreme in all these things. His authority is unquestioned. You know what that does for us here right now with the uh, part-time temporary help up front? It gives us hope. Because it's not and never has been about me. And frankly, it's not even really about you. It isn't that he loves you. But this is for him according to his purposes. This church is for him. It's not for me. It's not for me to have or hold. It's for him and his purposes that he might delight in his church, in his bride. That's why we live our lives so uprightly and with such glorious giving and humility because we want to present the bride to Christ in an unblemished form. So we live our lives in community in a way that honors God and brings Him glory. Because it's not about us. It's about Him and His glory. So that helps us. And then when we think on that, we remember the verse in Philippians where it says that God exalted Him, Jesus, supreme, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. It's about God's glory. And finally, the third point, if Jesus is Lord over all creation is point one, and Jesus is supreme in all things is point two. Then point three would be Jesus is the source of all redemption, all reconciliation. Not me. Jesus is. As the plan unfolds, as creation is made new in his image again, all things are reconciled to God. Ultimately, all things, creation itself, groaning under its own weight of sin, will be reconciled, will be recreated, claimed again by God. And it's all because of the person, life, and work of Christ. Again, from our Colossians passage, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Makes my head hurt, but I believe it. And through him, he has authority of all things, and so... That being true, Paul says, I want to make sure you recognize that you understand 
that all these broken things, all these things that hurt, all these things that are going wrong, it's okay. Because through Him, He is reconciling all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. You're okay. You're in the reconciled plan of God. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son, into His marvelous light that He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, redemption, reconciliation. Those are things that are unto Jesus. He does them according to His purposes. And so somebody here this morning is going to say, where, where are you going with this, Dave? Honest to goodness, so what? What, what difference does this doctrine of Ta Ponta mean? If I'd have never heard this before, uh, how, how does this change my life? You're telling me, Dave, that this is going to change my life. Well, it might. But what I am telling you is that life is relentless. You cannot conspire in such a way so as to remove yourself from the consequences of a broken and fallen world. You cannot. You cannot save enough money. You cannot eat enough protein. You cannot rub enough oil on the top of your head to try and keep your hair. You, you can't. It's passing. The world and all its fallen idols cannot save you. And so the trick is to renounce that world and pledge allegiance to this king, knowing that the world is going to be relentless anyway. I might as well move out of darkness and into the light of his sun. Pretty soon my attitude and my heart, my feelings will track with me as I place that firmly as truth in my mind that God is sovereign over all things. He is reconciling all things. That means I can be at peace with all things. I no longer have to live according to the whimsical and temporary fashion of this world. I'm free. I have been set free because all things now are being accomplished according to the counsel of His will. And I am part of all things. I'm in a good spot. Really, really good spot. And so, James says, listen now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go do this or go to that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Do some of you do that? I do that. <laughs> I do that. I want to go to, I don't know, Italy and spend money and live for a month. So anybody that wants to contribute to that, let me know. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and we're going to spend a year there and carry on business and make money. It's going to be great. Why do you not even know what you, uh, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? This is where it gets a little discouraging. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. <sighs> Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we live, we will live, and we will do this or that. 
And I don't think Paul, or excuse me, uh, James is trying to, you know, pop our balloon about life. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm crowding 70, and I was just talking ab- about somebody. I'm, I'm writing these books, uh, hoping to, and, uh, and I said I have a deadline. And I thought, wait, I really have a deadline. I have a line where I won't be working on my books anymore because I'll be dead. Yeah, I'll be with Jesus. So, so that gives us a sense of urgency and priority that we would live our lives according to the counsel of his will that we might yield to what he wants. And, and what he's referring to, of course, James, is this, this little part of me. He's not referring to the ever-living, ever-dying part of me. He's referring to this part that's uh, trying to stay healthy. The rest of me, the ever-living, dying part of me, is going to be with Jesus forever in a form that brings him great glory. So those make me happy. Those give me peace. We know it's hard because Jesus said so. Lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. He's talking to his disciples here. The love of many disciples will grow cold for me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now you read this and you're thinking of the end will come as some dysphoric kind of uh, bad movie. No, no, no. When Jesus says the end will come, when Christ comes to claim his kingdom citizens, they will rule with him from on high. What will come to an end is the anarchy. What will come to an end is the hopelessness. That's what will come to an end. The end will come. It will be the end of sadness and pain, of tears and sorrow. All creation will be restored to its perfectly good status. Forgiveness will have its full effect. There will be grace and hope, not guilt and shame. The end will come. There will be purpose moving forward and intimate relationships and not loneliness and not purposelessness. Sin and its consequence will be erased as far as the east is from the west. Every child will be esteemed. Every senior will have a purpose. His will will be perfectly manifest and obeyed on earth as it is in heaven. And oh, the bliss of that glorious day. You have been set free to a great hope in all things. Let's pray. So indeed, Lord, even now, Father, I know the song we're going to sing and I can hardly imagine what has been set aside for me and those who are found in you because of your amazing grace and love that has redeemed me, claimed me out of the fire, set me up as a citizen of heaven and as the adopted child of the Father, 
And so, Father, give me that hope, that peace, that grace, that all things do work together for good for your glory according to the counsel of your will, that I might not be held hostage by the relentless circumstances of the world. Not anymore. Not anymore. We imagine you and your goodwill. In Jesus' name, amen.